Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text, the ongoing study of the first chapter of Colossians today, beginning at verse 14. We're walking with Jesus through this little letter that Paul wrote to the congregation in Colossae. The founding pastor of that congregation, Epaphras, had traveled to Rome where Paul was under house arrest for preaching the good news about Jesus to report how things were going and there was much to be thankful for. Paul had praised them for their faith in Jesus that was visibly active in their love, that is their sacrificial acts of service for one another, built on the hope that they were, even now, part of the kingdom of God, that is the world put right, right with God, right with one another, right with the creation, starting right now through faith in Jesus and permanently when Jesus comes again. But there was some concern that they had grown complacent. And so Paul prayed last week that they would combat complacency by by bearing fruit in every good work. And we learned that that means measuring every thought, every word, every deed, every attitude from the cross where we have the forgiveness of all of our sins and from the empty tomb where we receive new life daily. By increasing in our knowledge of God, which is is deepening that personal, intimate, experiential relationship with Him. By being strengthened with all power, which is the very power God used to raise Jesus' dead body back to life again at work in us to endure seemingly impossible situations and to be patient with seemingly impossible people. And finally, by giving thanks to God, which opens your life for him to pour in more and more of his grace, his unlimited and unmerited love. Now, Colossae was a thoroughly Roman town. And in the Greek and the Roman culture, multiple gods vied for attention. So if people there had heard about Jesus, most of them would have simply taken him as the newest deity block on the block shuffled in with with all of the others. The Jesus followers in Colossae congregation certainly knew better than that, and yet the pressure of the culture was strong. And so Paul is going to close out what for us has been a three-week-long prayer with a soaring description of Jesus. Eight times in the first six verses, Paul uses the little word, all. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold it together. In him all the fullness of God dwells. And he reconciles all things, making peace by the cross. Here's what we must learn today. That because Jesus is above all and has done it all for us, We now have all that we need to live rich, meaningful lives in a culture that is absolutely as confusing and as distracting as that pantheon of Greek and Roman gods. Jesus is above all. 
Yeah, I think that we sometimes imagine that we are so much more sophisticated than those first century Colossians. I mean, after all, we don't have temples to Zeus or Aphrodite built on the highest hills. Although I remember hearing once that one of the reasons that the cathedrals built centuries ago had these towering steeples, the highest point in the city was to announce to the world what was most important in their city. Want to guess what the tallest building in downtown Orlando is? A bank. And in New York City? It's the One World Trade Center. Look, even in the lives of go to church every Sunday, study the Bible regularly, people, the pressure of our culture is to relegate Jesus to cameo appearances in our day-to-day story. And so these first six verses of our text are are sort of like drinking from a fire hose of the biblical understanding of who Jesus is in order to get him and to keep him in the forefront of our thinking and our actions all the time. Now trust me when I tell you that there are multiple sermons that could be preached on these first six verses, so I'm only going to hit a few high spots in hope of capturing your attention. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Now, God's image is not some visible form like those Greeks and the Romans imagined. God's image is a -a one-of-a-kind, completely other divine nature. And the best that we can do is use words that describe what he is like. And so the explanation to Luther's small catechism lists 13 attributes of God. God is a spirit, which means he's a personal being without a physical body. He is eternal, unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, holy, just, faithful, good, merciful, gracious, and above all, God is love. And yet all of those words combined do not exhaust all that God is. Now in Genesis chapter 1, it says that we, male and female, were created in God's image. Meaning that we were actually designed to reflect, as in a mirror, all of God's attributes. What we were meant to be is somewhat beyond imagination. Although I often suspect that all of our science fiction movies and our stories are most likely memory traces of what we were meant to be before sin came into the picture. Now broken and damaged, when humanity decided to try and do life without God, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Now, what might that mean? Well, it means that Jesus, as true God, having all of the attributes of the divine nature, born into human flesh and blood, was the first to be born since the fall, not broken and not damaged by sin. Now this, 
This is the same thing that John, who was part of that intimate inner circle of Jesus' disciples, remember Peter, James, and John, wrote in his opening account of Jesus' life, where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and by him were all things created, and without him not anything that was made, that has been made, was made, and the Word became flesh. Jesus is not just one of many mythological beings. Jesus is not a guru pondering questions like, what is the sound of one hand clapping? Jesus is not some prophet who came to show us what we must do in order to find God for ourselves. He's not an alien. He's not an apparition. Jesus is true God, one with the Father and with the Spirit, who took on human flesh to restore us to the original image of God in which we were created. Now, I'm getting a little woozy trying to get my head around all of this. Listen to what one commentator wrote about this verse. The idea that an aspect of God's character or an immaterial concept is what holds the universe together is a far cry from the startling claim that a man who had recently lived and been crucified by the Romans, was the one in whom all things are held together. What holds the universe together is not an idea or a virtue, but a person. The resurrected Jesus Christ. Without him... Electrons would not continue to circle nuclei, gravity would cease to work, and the planets would not stay in their orbits. <laughs> I wonder if you're starting to get the picture. Jesus is above all, and he has done it all for us. Now look, this image, the heart, is the control center, of, or the head is the control center of the body. And at the fall, it is as if creation lost its head by turning away from God, and we've been running around like a chicken with our heads cut off, flailing to death. And yet at the cross, Jesus dies the death that we deserve to die. Then he rose again to restore order and sanity to the universe in order to bring the whole creation, including you and me, back to life. The Bible loves metaphors which are word pictures to help us visualize what God has done for us in Jesus. Justified is a legal metaphor that conjures up a courtroom where we are declared innocent. Redeemed is a commercial metaphor that takes us to the slave market where Jesus pays the price to buy us out of slavery to sin and death and the devil, not with gold or silver, but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death. But here, here reconciled is a relational metaphor 
that captures the image of people estranged and at odds with each other. And it's the picture of the prodigal son and the older brother in Jesus' parable sitting down together with God the Father for a celebration feast that never ends. Peace is the Hebrew word shalom, which is perfect and complete contentment. Now, I want you to stop and catch your breath and appreciate the fact that all of that is one long run-on sentence in the original Greek. It is as if Paul got started and he couldn't find a place to stop. So overpowering and incredible is the Christian understanding of Jesus. Jesus is above all and he has done it all for us so that now in him we have all that we need to live a rich and a meaningful life. Reconciled to God through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All sins forgiven, new life refreshed continuously. The more you know him, remember, to know is to experience a deep, intimate, personal relationship. The more you know him, the more you begin to live a life that is pleasing to him, holy and blameless and above reproach. So I'd like for you to think about that like this. Imagine someone who you do not particularly like ordering you to bring them breakfast in bed. And if you don't particularly care about them or if you're busy doing something else, then stopping what you're doing to make them breakfast is, well, it's irritating. You're having to sacrifice your time and your energy for their happiness. Now it's a chore. Now it's compliance. Now it's knuckling under. But what if you love that person? What if you admire that person? What if your heart is totally bound up with that person? What if there is so much admiration and desire for that person that his or her pleasure is your pleasure? When that person is happy, you're happy. So that if they say it would make me so happy if you brought me breakfast in bed, then no matter what you were doing, you would drop it all because it's no longer a chore to serve that person it's a pleasure that brings you joy if you come to know Jesus more and more as the one who is above all who has done it all to reconcile you to God then your heart will swell with pleasure to do what pleases him even if it means sacrificing your time and your treasure, your skills, and your abilities. As all the fullness of Jesus fills you up, he cannot just play a little bit role in your life. Man number two in the crowd on the final credits of your life. You cannot have a little Jesus to round you out. 
He can't just be your buddy. He can't come in and just make you a little better. It's all or it's nothing. That's what Jesus was talking about in the gospel this morning. A follower of Jesus does not pray, Lord, give me a nice, comfortable life where I reach all of my financial goals and have a nice home and am able to live without too much worry. A follower of Jesus who is more and more being filled with the fullness of Jesus, which is a lifetime process, prays, Lord, I see all that you did for me. Now give me something great to do. I want my life to count for the kingdom of God, which is the world put right. I want to make a difference. I want to change lives. I want to change the world, at least, at least something in my little corner of it. And I expect, no, I am willing to sacrifice to make that happen. Find me a place on the front lines, Lord. I don't expect to have as much money as I would have if I wasn't your follower. I don't expect to have the career, the friends, the reputation I might have had. I want you to know, I want to know the power of your resurrection at work in my life. And what do we get in return? I don't know exactly how to explain it to you. But we get God himself. Because Jesus died on the cross, our sins are forgiven, and we are reconciled to God. And that means God, in some mysterious and supernatural way, over the course of a lifetime of hearing his words and remembering our baptism and receiving Jesus' very body and blood in with and under the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper is going to take all of his attributes, his very nature in which we were created and put them back into our lives in a way that turns us into something loving and glorious regardless of our circumstances. God says, I'm going to give you me. And there isn't anything greater than that. Jesus is above all, and he has done it all for us so that we have all that we need to live deep, satisfying lives. Stable and steadfast. Not shifting from the good news about Jesus that you've heard again. Amen. Now the peace that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in this true faith unto life everlasting. Amen. Please stand.